um, we have an hour here um, to talk about, we titled this racism, proof, how to racism proof your child, right? And um, so this is a, a very timely subject and um, we're gonna pray. Father, thank you for giving these ladies strength to be on this call at this hour of the night after their big days. And Father, I do pray, um, was on my knees before this call, just going, Lord, this is, this is near to your heart. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be our wisdom. And um, we're just going to take one tiny little niche of, of this issue um, to be able to talk about in such a short um, block of time. But God, I ask you that you would reveal to us um, principles and reveal to us actions um, that match your heart um, and bring your kingdom to earth in our sphere of influence, especially with our children, God, who will stand in the next generation um, as your righteous ones. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what I planned, I didn't call this a workshop, I just called this a discussion. And I don't know, you know, whatever the terms mean, but but essentially we just have one hour. We're going to hit on some things and plant some seeds. But what I felt the need to do was um, to actually lay out maybe in the first 15, maximum 20 minutes of the, our time together. I felt like we needed to have um, just some foundational foundational principles and thoughts laid down from a biblical perspective on the issue of quote race and um so for me i just wanted to tell you in terms of um how i've been sort of preparing and and thinking in my own heart is reading the bible from a certain perspective asking god questions you know how does this apply to what's going on in our culture today how does this apply in regarding quote race and how does this apply to parenting right and then also reading three different books and one of them is um, by john piper it's called um, Race, Cross, and Christian Bloodlines um, by John Piper. Very thoughtful. It's not an easy read, but um, if you're motivated at all, really, I, you know, well worth reading. Um, the second one is um, Biblical Answer to Race, The Biblical Answer to Racism. Uh, three authors, Ken Ham, um, Carl Wieland, and John Batten. And um, it's these are three science-oriented um, authors who, Christians, who um, they do have a young earth um, philosophy, but uh, perspective, um, but talk a lot about just the genetics of, of why there's only one race and how there can be this much variation of features and skin, skin color and all of that sort of thing one race, um, thoughtful and an easy read, um, essentially. And then the one that I think if I recommend only one to you, I just highly recommend reading the autobiography of Booker T. Washington. It's called Up From Slavery. And I read it very slowly because I was just savoring this man who up from slavery, you just you just have to pick it up and read it. And I it has so just this man has so many answers to how to come up from slavery, right? Um, uh, and I, I just love it. I picked up a second book by him that I'm just really looking forward to um, to reading. All right, so I'm going to start us off um, just these first few minutes anyway with some high level thinking. So 
hang in there with me, but I sort of high level thinking just around this issue of race. And then we're gonna go into practical outplay of it all and what we actually can do inside of our family and our children, but we have to have this common, common base, right? Of how we get our children to habitually walk in the identity of Christ and, and to be able to love with Christ's love, whether it's their, their friend or foe, their, their neighbor or their enemy. All right, all of us together, parent coaching, LOE families, we have this common understanding that our children are born persons. They're created in the image of God. They're born with the capacity for both good and evil. And we know that as parents and as grandparents like me, right, we are appointed by God to the high responsibility of stewarding our children's lives in such a way that they become conformed to the image of Christ. That means they think with the mind of Christ, they're motivated with the heart of Christ, their actions are, are, are through the Holy Spirit, um, Christ's actions, right? So one of our primary ways of doing that is to obey um, the command of God, discerningly obey God's command to us that we parent in such a way that we allow no hindrances, no stumbling blocks, no offenses to mess up our children on their journey to holiness. Remember that out of our parent coaching? So, so key. So we're to think of our children as highly as God thinks of them. And therefore, we need to discern clearly the atmosphere, the habit formation, and the living ideas that we must provide for our children so that they can thrive in their union with Christ. That's our job, right? And we come back to that all the time. Those, we have other tools, but those three. Hey, Hazel, hey, good to have you on here. Okay, so I've organized my remarks on these parenting tools around these, the, the atmosphere, habit formation, and living ideas, but I'm gonna talk about them a little bit in reverse order, starting with living ideas, okay? So we only have an hour. So I'm gonna just fly through these concepts, these, these truths, just in a, in a bullet point um, format. And then also um, they contain what I think are, will be some really um, distilled and helpful quotes, right? So these are living ideas. There's seven of them, as I recall, okay. Race, as we view it in our present time, is not a biblical reality. It's not a biblical term. From God's perspective, humans are one race, the human race, created in the image of God. The only other time race is used in the Bible, apart from human race, is win the race, be the one who runs the race kind of thing. It's not the noun race, right? <laughs> or it's not, it's not that term, meaning race, that, that we use it in our culture. All humans derive from one human father, Adam. All right, bullet point number two, skin color does not define another race, nor do geographical and or cultural groupings define another race. The truth is that there are so many variations physically with physical features in humankind that they defy any um, clear biological classification. So here's a quote from um, a book, Science and the Myth of Biological Race. And it says, essentially, all anthropologists have given up the attempt to identify races of human beings. 
This is very simply because the best evidence indicates that there are physically no clear boundary lines between the various communities of people around the world. Nearly all of the traits that distinguish human beings from one another are found in all communities, though in varying degrees. And you'll find that same perspective. I, everywhere I'm looking, I'm finding that perspective, right? All right, bullet point number three. Racial divisions, as no, we no, it, no, you have to wear your shoes. Sarah, mute yourself. Thanks. Okay, so racial divisions, as we know and experience them now, are a man-made, satanically inspired viewpoint and a construct. The consequences of which are on a continuum from minimal to disastrous. Bullet point. Next bullet point. The human race underwent a fall that resulted in man's alienation from God, alienation from self, and alienation from other people. Alienation produces division and conflict. Next bullet point. The sin behind the fall of the human race is pride. Pride replaces true identity with a false identity that requires others to be inferior so the false identity can remain superior. Remember in parent coaching, we talked about we don't go for self-building self-esteem in our children. Self-esteem is based on pride. I mean, that's the basis of it. It's faulty and it, and it, and it doesn't serve well. We go for identity, right? which does not have to push someone down to be up. All right, next bullet point. The only solution to the fall, uh, to the to fallen human condition is the application of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. This saving grace being revealed in the word of God by his Holy Spirit. All right, now here I have um, you know, several paragraphs of a quote that I wanna read you from Race, Cross and Christian Bloodlines by John Piper. He says, if you only convince a sinful, depraved, unrepentant, unregenerate person that he is created in the image of God, you will probably fuel his innate pride. And that pride may so distort a person's view of reality that he, is easy, he easily convinces himself that he is above others. That's how irrational sin makes us. What is desperately needed is another conviction, no less strong, but even more shattering to pride. Namely, the conviction that all human beings, including me and you, are corrupt, depraved, guilty, and condemned. We are all under the just sentence of hell, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the racial diversity of hell will be as great as it is in heaven, but there will be no harmony there. <clears throat> the ethnic diversity of hell is a crucial doctrine. Paul put it like this, quote, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. It's out of Romans 2.9. God is no respecter of persons in salvation or damnation. The human race, every ethnic group in it, 
is united in this great reality. We are all depraved and condemned. We are all lost in the woods together, sinking on the same boat, dying of the same disease. If we saw this more clearly, two things would happen. We would be humbled and frightened and made desperate, like a little child who desperately wants to find mommy when he's lost in the store. We would be broken and humbled. I have never seen a white hooded Klansman or a Farrakhan follower who was brokenhearted for his sin, humble and desperate for a savior. The other thing that would happen if we saw how united we are in sin is the sins of others would look like the outworkings of our own hearts. And we would be slower to judge and quicker to show mercy. The doctrine of total depravity has a huge role to play in humbling all ethnic groups and giving us a desperate camaraderie of condemnation leading to the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. There's so much to ponder in there. <laughs> All right, bullet point. The end of racism as we know and experience it can only come when Christ is all in all. Colossians 3.11 says this, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Here's another quote from the Bloodlines book. Christ is all. Here is the death knell to racism. Why do we despise or hate or shun or avoid or disparage or distort? Is it not because we are weak and fearful and insecure and proud and angry without deep peace and love in our souls? Do those ugly things come from people who say and mean Christ is everything to me. People who tre whose treasure is an all-satisfying fellowship with Christ. Another quote. The reference to barbarians and Scythians is a reference to the way the cultured Romans and Greeks viewed anyone whose speech or manners or habits were foreign and seemingly uncouth and refined and unrefined, excuse me. If you have died with Christ and been created as a new self in the image of God, those kinds of differences will stop, not stop love and fellowship. The reference to slave and free is a reference to the deepest divisions of class. So this text gives some of the seeds of the end of slavery. Paul didn't attack the institution Brother and sister are the terms that replace slave and free. This was the way Paul spoke to Philemon about his slave Onesimus, quote, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Okay. There's so much for us as adults packed into these points that I've made the quotes I read, the couple of scriptures that we've highlighted here, but I'm just going to let this biblical framework hang here for now, okay? Um, just trusting you to bring up questions and ideas you have so we can talk about them together in a little bit, um, you know, how we can practically communicate these foundational truths 
to children. So there's one more thing I want to call to our attention that we need to keep in mind as we think about practicalities of raising children who are invulnerable to racism. There's this coping mechanism, or maybe we can call it a capacity, um, that God um, has designed into humans for us to be able to make sense out of life. That coping mechanism is the necessity to generalize and categorize. That is God, it's a godly capability, actually a survival mechanism, but in a fallen world, that orderly mindset can degrade into stereotyping, which is the heart of racism, right? So inbred within us in the image of God is this necessity in this kind of a world to categorize, and, and group, right? And, and to bring um, a level of generalization about things. It's got good news, and in the fallen world, it's got bad news. We've got to have it, but we've got to teach our children how to take that power and have it all be for good and not allow the enemy to co-opt it in, in our lives or in our children's lives. So this is how it works. Let's say I see a dog, and I know someone who was bitten by a dog or maybe it was me who was bitten by a dog, right? Therefore, I shy away from dogs. I All dogs get a bad rep in my soul um, because I am prone to generalize my experience and internally I make a negative category in my soul of dog, right? Shying away from dogs who are now a category in my mind protects me from any possibility of being bitten. That's good news, right? But it also makes me miss out on the wonderful blessing it is to have the delight of dogs in my experience. That's the bad news. Okay. So we are created to generalize and categorize. So practically speaking, as parents, we need to help our children generalize in life-giving ways and establish categories in their minds that are united with Christ, not, not planted by the enemy to twist. So I hope we can talk a bit tonight about how to teach generalization and categorization skills, you know, capacities um, regarding people in God's life-giving perspective. That's one way, if you want to take the direction in that way, we can talk about that. But now let's jump into thinking together um, how we can communicate living ideas to young children through the practical tools of habit formation and atmosphere. Remember, we've got that three-legged stool. We've got atmosphere, habit formation, living ideas. We gave out some living ideas. How are we going to take the power of habit formation and the power of atmosphere to communicate living these living ideas to children, right? So keep this principle in mind as we're brainstorming. Young children do not have the reasoning capacity or the experience in life um, the experience base of life, right, to order their behavior based on intellectual concepts. Do you hear what I'm saying? They don't have the mental capacity to order their life based upon these living ideas. Not yet. Even when they can articulate a concept back to you or articulate a concept at an early age, they will not make decisions based upon that principle. 
Children make their decisions and order their behavior primarily based on subjective feelings, right? They come out of the womb feelers and only progressively, inch by inch, line upon line, day by day, do they get an experiential base that matches up with intellectual prowess, you know, growing intellectual prowess that allows them then to, to have those intellectual ideas actually reason them into a choice of behavior. Otherwise, it's very reactive and very based upon um, feeling, right? So that's why we embrace the insight through parent coaching. We talked about, right, that experience should precede principle with children because experience is subjective and it's filled with emotions that impact future actions. It's good to be me here with you, thus so-and-so, right? It's bad to be me here with you. This doesn't feel good. I'm out of here, right? Those kinds of things. I don't think it's an accident that children start out in life weighted heavily on the need for right experiences in their development versus coming out of the gun prepared to engage with intellectual ideas. It's really how God designed the human soul to integrate in strength. So there's a true statement that says a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an argument. And we're talking about how do we raise our children so that they are invulnerable to racist beliefs, um, racist influence in any way. A child with an experience is not at the mercy of a racist idea. We need to build on that in our conversation now. So the beauty of atmosphere and habit has two of our key parenting tools is that they are both experiential, right? Habit is, this is what I'm, my child is doing, right? And atmosphere is what they're breathing in terms of this, this is what impacts my whole being. With our creation of the right atmosphere, the right habit formation, our kids are gonna be invulnerable to the ungodly arguments and perspectives of racism. All right. Those are my, my comments in the beginning here. Question, I'll start us out. How can you create an atmosphere in your home, in your extended family, in your child's frame of reference of life, right, outside the family that communicates the truth that physical differences and cultural preferences do not constitute another race of people? I'll just start with that one. I mean, we could start in a hundred different directions, but start with that. So think about that for a minute. How can you create an atmosphere? I'll talk about atmosphere first, right? An atmosphere in your home, in your family, with your extended family and the child's sphere of experience, right? That um, builds a right habit formation that kids will be invulnerable to these arguments, but that they, um, that their physical, physical differences, excuse me, physical differences and cultural preferences don't constitute a race, a separate race within humanity. Probably just uh, one thing is, you know, cultivating friendships with people that look very different from you so that you have, yeah, that whole environment is all very, you've got that personal rapport and personal relationship and um, yeah, individual experience. Absolutely. And I would say if you go away from with nothing else from this hour little discussion, take that away from you. Experience relationship. Think about Jesus. He said, I no longer call you slaves. That's a category, 
it's a stereotype, you know, stereotypical generalization. I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. And because a slave doesn't really know what his owner is thinking and, and you know, the motivations of the heart and all. But friends, now we have something intimate going here. And that's completely changed, right? Now we've got a potential for union. I, you know, I, I'm going to share with you what I'm thinking. You're going to, I'm going to take of what's from me and, and let you know what it is, right? I mean, there's just many instances in the scriptures where we talk about um, how we move from whether we prevent stereotypes by giving a child um, who somebody's going to come up and say, blah, black people this or Asian people that or, or and they're just going to go, hey, Bobby's my dear friend. You know, I mean, our family comes over for dinner. We eat together. We play together. You know, all of that. I'm going, I don't know what your problem is with your stereotype, but, you know, he's just got a little darker than me and we're just like this, you know, a friend. <laughs> So you're absolutely on the money as far as I'm concerned with one of the highest possible atmospheres we can create for our children. What else? Anything else? Or build on that if you want to. Um, like, I mean, I wouldn't say that in my close-knit circle that I, I feel that it's very diverse, but there's still opportunities of you know, where I used to live before in South San Francisco and just parks and just, you know, diversity there and just Isaac and you know our family will just interact with whoever without any preconceived notions without talking about you know how people are different I, I think for us maybe we'll talk more about like ethnically different like oh culturally we may eat different foods and everyone has their preferences and and things like that of, of doing things differently just because you know, we, we are, I mean, Eric's Chinese and I'm Vietnamese. So we're like, okay, well, you know, your, your parents, your grandparents came from Hong Kong and Vietnam. And so we'll just, you know, maybe talk about some differences. And, um, you know, I, I feel like um, when it comes to holidays, it's like appreciating, you know, all these different cultural holidays and incorporating that into sort of, um, you know, what's, you know, not, not just focusing on American holidays or Asian holidays, but like Black History Month or, you know, um, Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> and just like, oh, here's, you know, we like Hispanic food or Mexican food and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anybody else? I'd say something around like, I think, being careful ourselves of ever making in generalizations based on race um because i mean it's easier to do when you're in a group of strangers but i feel like sometimes behind closed doors especially if it's like like chinese with chinese or you know within your own race you might like joke about that kind of stuff um but not to do that in front of the kids uh and then also trying to make it so that there are more than like with with the multi-ethnic kind of friendships that there are there's more than there's not a token like your one black friend and that one black friend represents all black people and that there's that, so that they aren't able to generalize like that right because to show diversity within different races um will prevent that kind of generalization i guess you know there's this this um statement that says familiarity breeds contempt 
But I think we need to reverse that and say lack of familiarity breeds contempt, right? Um, and we say, well, what you don't know won't hurt you. And I go, no, what you don't know hurts a lot. It, I mean, it's very destructive. So knowing relationship, intimacy, familiarity is what, what pulls the Velcro off the human soul for where the enemy can come in and, and bring the wrong side of generalization, the wrong side of, of, uh, of categorizing, right? And um, turning it into stereotyping and, and pulling on pride, right? The false identity of, of, um, that's, that's created by pride. So familiarity really is an absolute priority and, and so, you know, what you're saying, Diane, as far as, you know, you, you have this rich field of um, potential and Debbie, what you're saying um, in terms of don't just have a token black person in your life, but with, if you live in an Asian community, I mean, we, we tend in them and there's nothing wrong with this and nothing wrong with people gravitating into a people group. You know, we like to be with people who, like to eat the same kind of food we like to eat or catch our humor because it's just kind of flows through our people group or you know whatever there's nothing wrong with that right the the where it becomes wrong is again if we begin to categorize us and them versus just noticing our 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 differences and our preferences and that's all they are that we realize there's certain categories that we make that are really benign you know all these people like to eat spicy food <laughs> or all these people have um, dark skin and these people have light skin or, you know, I mean, those who look at it and you go, yeah, those are, those are obvious things that we can notice. And we look at them and we go, those don't have a, a lot of, I mean, they're very, they're basically benign categories, benign groupings, you know, that we make about life and about people. Where we begin to go wrong then is when we begin to either give those things, we, we change them from being just not so significant. We put way too much significance on them, right? Of going, well, now that means that I don't wanna be with you because I don't want you to enforce that on me or I feel you're inferior or, you know, with one conversation we can get into in another evening is the impact of Darwinism on setting up um, race, the issue of race and racial division and inferiority and vertical stacking of who's higher on the, on the, you know, the developmental chain, I, just absolutely out of the pit of hell. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the ideas that you're coming up with here of having to do with relationships for our children. The problem is, Diane, you've got lots of opportunity. I'm going. Hey, we're sitting here in Montera. I think there's maybe, I don't know, there used to be two, two black families in, in all of Montera. I don't know if they're even here anymore. You see the kids, you know, walking back and forth to the bus or something, right? But I'm going, unless for my grandchildren, right? Unless, um, and, and for our children, you know, we made, we made efforts, but not as much as I would make now you know, from what I know. Um, but it's going to take decided effort to cultivate that. So one of the things I just wanted to throw out to you guys about Lita LOE is I would love to see that my mind always goes like, you know, how do I help empower you in the direction that you want to go? I, I'm considering 
you know, what about if LOE was able to just make some connections with ethnically diverse um, churches uh, and the peninsula, right? And, and just say, hey, there's a group of families here and we all want to learn to be become friends, you know, with people, different people groups and different people with different preferences. And we just want to become friends. And hospitality is hugely spiritual. It's hugely an act of warfare. Um, if you want to break the back of racism in America and be God's instrument to do that, you don't have to march. You don't, you don't want to do whatever you want to do. But I'm saying, biblically, open up your home to be hospitable to people that you, that you need to have your children and even you, right, become familiar with and become friends with so that Satan does not have an opportunity to... You've got an experience that outweighs somebody's argument in the wrong direction. So if we would just practice hospitality and that hospitality, I think, in terms of spiritual warfare, should include eating together. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, in parenting that I, I am saying, look, your you need to get your children really early past the eating is about, I don't want the spinach and I don't want the whatever, right? No, they need to know and get them down into this habit that eating is about relationship and communication and communion, right? So that your children can sit at a table with other people and really have fellowship because it breaks the back of Satan. And that's the basis of it. So open your homes. I my husband and I were talking about this the other day, and I said, should we do this through LOE, or maybe we do this through our little house church forage group, you know, but just encouraging families to say, could, could a group of us get together and make kind of a little accountability pack together and say once a month through the rest of, you know, or through spring or through something or summer or this year, once a month, we are going to figure out come hell or high water, how to have a family across sort of people grouping lines come for dinner and spend some time a breakfast a lunch a, you know a dinner or something but once a month right and then let that relationship maybe it's one that will click and it will flow maybe it's a one-timer shot whatever but let the holy spirit play out but just have christians together make this commitment to say this is how we're going to break the back of satan you know off our nation it's going to be it's going to be a seed in the sense that it's just our family and our children, which is huge enough, but actually spiritually, it has vast repercussions in terms of um, breaking principalities and powers off the nation. And you guys kind of came up with that idea right from the beginning. I'm really excited about that. Jan, that reminded me of just, um the importance of studying languages, because I think that's such a great way to learn about other cultures and build that empathy. And then the second thing is, um, I, I probably mentioned this before, but my mom, she would teach about cultures through the foods because that's a common thread. And so I think just taking the care and time to, to find other ways people dine or what foods they eat around the world, I think that's a really tangible way to introduce culture to, to your children too. So another reason, ladies, to have your children be flexible in what they eat and not do this American typical thing of, 
I'll only eat a piece of chicken and a bite of potato. I mean, how are you going to take your children in and out of environments where they can learn to, you know, love people and have environments if they can't sit and eat, you know, somebody else's style of food? <laughs> I go, this is a much bigger issue than everybody makes it. And it's, it's not as lightweight as, you know, it's like ages and stages, dump it quick and take your children into a much higher level of what eating and communion is all about. <laughs> and I like the idea. I think your, your statement about, um, Sarah, about languages is really true. That's very Charlotte Mason. She really believed that children needed to be learning two languages, right? And she said it was because it just shows love and respect. Your language is worth learning. You're worth my being able to communicate with, right? And my making the effort to learn how to communicate with you. She said it just was a way of regarding other people with value. And I, I think that's really beautiful. Well, one thing that I also do is I try to look up um, books that are about other cultures and also about the cultures of my kids and my husband's culture. So he's Indian, I'm Chinese. And we've been borrowing a lot of books from the library just about that and just yeah. to expose them to different um, cultures. Great. So, and because of books, they are really they're at the age they're three years old and they're really um into remembering details about books so now they could see a lot of different um just food like what we were talking about foods and 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 um, cultural practices and habits and stuff like that from the books yeah and they talk about it beautiful yeah. beautiful yeah i do recommend books you know um, just send them out we'll put them on a book list and a website and stuff right um i've been um checking out some books that um, that I'm enjoying that that kind of deal with differences, good good spirit, good heart about them and give us a little annotation of why you feel they're valuable. What else, anything else? Creating this atmosphere that makes your children invulnerable to racism. I think um, having, trying to encourage a general sense of curiosity in our kids about other people so that we're not making assumptions and we're asking questions to find out what they're feeling or thinking about certain things rather than just assuming they think like us. Yeah, I think there's, there's, um, I, I sent off a curriculum, um, but I, I didn't have time to look over too much. I sent it off to Maria to look, I, to look at, and I said, you know, give me your evaluation first, you know, should I spend some time looking at this or what are you thinking? So she said, I went on to the, into the section um, for Mexicans. And she said, Hi, I have some real questions about this. She said, I'm Mexican. And I'm thinking, well, that's not me. And, and well, that's kind of a tacky stereotype of who Mexicans are. Like, you know, we're not all like that. And I don't like this. And we don't do that. You know? So it was just kind of this neat little package deal of, you know, sort of a <laughs> this typical, maybe petty way of going, this is how we're stereotyp stereotypically going to present somebody from, from Nigeria or so, you know, somebody from this culture or whatever. So we have to watch out for those books that are a little too neat and tidy. And I think in that regard, be able to um, change our wording and our language is really huge, right? To, and, and when we're studying the social studies thing where they tend to um, so neatly present what a person from a certain culture is like, that feeds into what you're saying, Debbie. It, it, it takes away the wonder. It takes away the uniqueness of, of just saying, 
rather than say, for example, the, um, the antidote to that is talking about different cultures and how they develop because of maybe their geography, right? I mean, they, they eat certain foods that can grow according to the climate or according to the, the geography, you know, the geology of their, their um, surroundings. Um, there's certain things that they may they gravitate to for clothing because of what they have access to or you know what um, the cl climate and all of that. So you're you're kind of talking about how those unique things come about, but you're not actually saying and all of them wear serapes and all of them love this and <laughs> all of them sing that song and <laughs> you know versus um, talking about just how preferences and things are shaped and that they're they're unique you know even with us okay yeah so we are we are this people group but i like this and you like this you know <laughs> kind of thing too so we we keep that level of wonder and uniqueness and not hard these hard tight stereotypes that can and really bounce back yeah to that and i really like the Alfieri has like a unit called Exploring Home in Other Lands and the way they've approached it, they're like, the books that they use, it's like about one child with a specific name who is of, you know, like the one we're reading right now is about the Inuits. And it's like, okay, so you learn about the Inuits, but it's not through the lens of all Inuits do this. It's like this yeah. child and her family. And then you think about, you think about them first and like, you try and make analogies to your own life of like, oh, they eat this because it's, they ice fish because it's icy all year round, right? So what, but what do we like to eat kind of thing? And you're starting with, with them first. So. Beautiful, beautiful. And again, you know, with language, the business of let's, it's almost impossible. And, and Piper was talking about this in his book. He says, it's almost impossible to extricate the word race out of your vocabulary in our culture. And nowadays, when it's just like, you know, you're just drowning in all this issue of race, 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 this, you know, racism, everyone's a racist if you don't agree with this and that, the other thing. It's just gone berserk, you know. Um, but trying to stay away from that word and the time you use it is about the human race. That's when you use that word. And try mostly as much as absolutely possible to talk about people, people, people groups nationalities, you know, ethnic groups, that sort of thing, stay away from there are multiple races and teach our children there is one race, the human race. We have one father, our human father is Adam, and we are one, we are people of one blood, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Then the whole, you guys have, have some, you know, mixed marriages that people call mixed marriages, but, you know, a lot of America and, and, you know, a lot of the church for so many years, you know, have been against, you know, no, God wants to have these, to keep a pure white race. I and mean, look what happened in Germany with that thing, right? And, and all of this and, and how we look at, at um, uh, we, we teach so differently about just the beautiful diversity um, among people and and all the mixes and matches and, and, and all of that we look at that we embrace that, that there's no, nothing in the Bible against inter quote racial marriage, what they would call interrate people today would call interracial marriage. Um, and we would say there aren't two races, so what's the whole deal, right? Um, but um, having that be the only mandate from God is um, Christians marrying non-Christians. 
that's the forbidden marriage, you know, that cannot happen. But the other is just a non-existent issue. I mean, just man-made, Satan-made, contrived um, alienation. So we can talk to try and change that wording in our language. Amy recommended a book to me that I think is really beautiful. It's a children's book called People. If any of you have seen it, it's well worth checking out at the library. You know, I, I bought a copy and have enjoyed. Um, my children, my grandchildren, are really loving it, and it's just all the different noses and face, facial skin, you know, skin colors and shades of colors and shapes of heads and bodies and, and you know, in, in just a delightful way, you know, and, um, and then the, all the different dress that people have. And um, I've, I've really enjoyed that one. I think that's, there's many children's books that we can recommend to each other, but I recommend that one from Amy. Um, anything else? That was one of my favorite childhood books. Um, I, one other thing I wanted to say yeah. is that, um, yeah. I'm, I'm with my family in Hawaii right now. And, um, I was asking my friend who is a Hawaiiana teacher and I said, Tony, what is the best way to like, is there a, a great curriculum you'd recommend or some resources you recommend for Hawaiiana because we're part native Hawaiian. And he said, no, you just need to go out and you need to take them to the places that you they'll experience it. You can't read it from a book. You have to interact with the land around you you have to experience the culture and I was like that is so Charlotte Mason like why would I why would I even ask that but we do have some books that my family has kept over time and ones that my my family has contributed to contributed to books that talks about the history of the Puerto Ricans who have come here Filipinos Chinese Native Hawaiians Portuguese and like a great plug to come and visit Hawaii when there's no more COVID. Um, this place is such a melting pot, pot for so many different cultures that it's small and you can navigate it easily by yeah. not having to go very far, just like California. Um, but I, I mean, I'm sure it's hard in some ways if you're a different race. Like if you're if you're Caucasian, then maybe it might be a little bit harder. I don't know if how would that be just because I grew up mixed. And so it's easy to enter many different cultures easily. Yeah. So it's just, I, it just, it's so nice to be here and for, for my kids to see people who, who look like them and to learn about their culture. So it's in some ways, it's like another dimension to our homeschooling right now. And that I can't open up a book and like teach them a Hawaiian culture per se, like from that route, but we can experience it. And so I love, I love that aspect of what my friend mentioned to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And oh, first thing I can't, oh, sorry. I think there was a comment on the books. Oh, it's a comment. On the yes, book. I will post a retreat. <laughs> oh, oh, so I couldn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Told you I was going to come crash. We love the life. <laughs> now, I, I was having a conversation with Stephanie a while back, and she made a comment um, about um, the racial thing with Maddie. And, and so it, it was just something that, and it's really stuck with me. You, need to, you guys need to know that I listen really, I listen really um, seriously to comments that you make and to perspectives that you have and, and I ponder things, right? So she had made the comment with Maddie. She said, you know, I've read these books. There are so many books that talk about sort of the, the plight of black people and, and um, the poverty and the inner city things and the you know the the all those issues and stresses and strains then and thinking that I'm making 
Madeline um, sensitive to, um, you know, to another people group um, needs. And she said, but what's happened? She said, I noticed that every time we see a black person that Maddie is, you know, she's, she's um, habitualized obedience. Right? And so she immediately it's, we need to help those people. They're black, they need help, right? And, and she said, it just struck me this day going, wait a minute, these are like upper middle class people with black skin, right? But yet if for Maddie, just she associates anyone with dark skin, you know, um, that looking and saying, oh, they, they're, they're victims, they're desperately in need. And so just seeing them now triggers in her heart um, a sense of um, they have a desperate need that, that how can we meet, right? And so she was saying, I feel like I need to find those books and, and I would add and we would add right out of our time together, right? Provide my child with the relationships to black people who are really doing quite well, thank you very much, right? That they're not helpless, hopeless victim people, um, victimized people, product of, you know, the past or the present or whatever, right? But they're just people like everyone else. And and um, so I, I would put that out to you that, um, that's why I loved reading this autobiography from Booker T. Washington. I, I just can't, I really, really highly recommend it to you. Um, and his perspective of he just had a horrible upbringing, but he never saw himself as a victim. And, you know, he was raised in, in worst slavery, worst, you know, abject poverty and all, and, and for many of his years, but then rose to where he was, literally presidents were coming to meet with him. And without any pride, but his sense of, of value and dignity and how he started the Tuskegee um, Institute and college, Black uh, College for Blacks and, and how he required um, Black people the, the, to come, they, they didn't know how to read, they were coming right at the end of slavery, you know, right at the end when everyone was just coming out of total being deprived, right, of everything. And, but they wanted to become educated and, but they would come and because they associated work with slavery, they didn't want to work. What they wanted to do was be smart, like what they visualized, they stereotyped white people, you know, to, to be the top and not the bottom. You have to read these, you know, to read these books and intellectualize this way and make it into Congress and do these kinds of things. And he actually had every student who came and he said they really rebelled for many, many years, but had to work their day and study at night and said, you know, the way to establish yourself in the culture is to have skills and value that people can't live without and to be trustworthy and of such high character that, um, that you just become this integral staple pillar, pillars of society and all that other falls away. So he required them to make the bricks, to build the buildings. They, they built their own buildings. They made their own beds to sleep in, to get off the floor. They you know, did all these things. And um, along with you know, the learning and it's just, it was just fascinating how he ended up just, um, it was, uh, he was an absolute 
culture changer. You know, a, a, he, he was a savior inside of the black community and that's why he titled his autobiography Up From Slavery, right? So I think I, I mentioned that just to say, um, I think it's so important for us not to give a stereotype of, of black people, you know, which seem to be the center of the quote, race issue, racism issue, right? right presently in our culture, not always the case, but now, um, that we are um, reading to our children um, books on, about Booker T. Washington, about um, Douglas, about, um, you know, others who, um, and, and children, there's wonderful books on, you know, children that just, you're not even pointing out these are black people, these are white people, these are, you know, this people group, that people group, but just the atmosphere of not projecting on people an identity that you're a product of victimization and you can't rise because of that. Um, I was, I was just thinking about how, remember we say in parent coaching, you never say to a child a you are statement about anything negative. You are selfish. You are incapable. You are a victim. You are um, helpless or hopeless. You are those things. You never make those you are statements. You will always say to them, the you are the, the are statements you're making about their identity in Christ of who they are. You are courageous. You are capable. You are an overcomer. You are outstanding. You are kind. You are this. If there's anything negative, it's and um, what you did was selfish. You know what you're thinking is not who you are, right? Who you are is this, but this is not characteristic of who you really are. And so um, I think it's very important for us, like you were mentioning right in the very beginning, Debbie, about the conversations that we have around our children. There's, there's such um, a momentum inside of our now um, around to be talking about, um, you know, issues of, of, white white privilege and entitlement and you know things like that we can get into conversations and and those are deep issues and i'm not i'm not wanting to bring up anything political social mm -hmm. only the only point i'm trying to make here is that it's very important for us not to plant a seed in our children's hearts about a people group being um where we say you are deprived, you are helpless, you are hopeless, you are downtrodden and crushed. You go, no, those are things that can be happening, but who you are is a human being and we all are these things, right? We are all the head and not the tail. We are all above and not beneath. We are all those who are overcomer. We are all led in triumph in Christ Jesus, right? That's what allows us all to be united. It's Christ in all. Right? Jan? Yes. Um, would you help, would you have time to help navigate and troubleshoot like a, or probably like a issue of racism that is probably a little bit closer to home in that, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, my family experienced it, you know, when the pandemic hit, there was a lot of talk about the Chinese virus. And so 
I mean, and a lot of things happened where people were persecuted and my parents are like, don't go out, you know, and they are fearful, right? And so, you know, I don't know if it was that Isaac overheard conversations or, or different things, but he's trying to understand, you know, what's this Chinese virus? You know, why are people getting hurt by it? Like how, like, he's just trying to, you know, wrap his little head around, like, why can't we go out? You know, are, why, why are, you know, my grandparents scared of, you know, being hurt by other people? Why is our president saying Chinese virus and blaming us? And, you know, I, you know, tried to navigate it as best as I could, but I wanted to see if you had any recommendations. Yeah. Um, I, number one, I, I'm very much in favor of sheltering children from, young children, especially, from controversies um, that breed anxiety um, and where they're not, they're not in charge of their own choices, whether they go out or they stay in, um, who they spend time with. It's like, it, it, for me, there's a parallel that says, I'm, I'm not in favor of, for example, um, teaching children um, that, that they have to be careful when they go into a park because, or into a, a store or into a bathroom because there are people who do bad things to children and you know you need to you need to know how to protect yourself. I'm looking and saying, I, I just think that's actually for me, I think that's cruel um, to a child. And it's just it's way beyond their capacity to deal and it and it breeds fear in them before they have courage. You know, I mean it, it makes them weak and vulnerable before they know they're not weak and vulnerable. So in this regard, I, I think there are just some issues that that you really work very hard at, I, I, and, and I'll just tie that other one in, and I think we actually have talked about it in, in some sessions with the parent coaching thing too, that I think it's the parent's job to not put your children in environments where they're vulnerable. I don't want to have to explain, you know, um, about sexual perversion to young children and it's not proper, it's not right, they can't cope with it, it gets used by the devil. And so it's my job to make sure they're not in an environment where that can happen, right? And now that's an ideal setting. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't be in charge and then you've got to, you're, you're leveraged into doing something that you know you wouldn't do if you had your druthers, right? So tying that into, into this, I would try very hard not to have my children overhear those conversations, um, and um, and then I would I would really minimize them, and and I would also it's so. But now, if he's heard, if it's been talked about, if you know, if there is this fear and this statement of you know we can't go out, um, I would. This is just me, and you, you know, I'll just tell you mine, and everybody has to find their own way, right? But I I think I would back that down to say when, if he's, if someone is saying, well, you know, the president is calling a Chinese virus and now people are hating Chinese. I think I would try and explain and say, it's being caused that not because of Chinese people, but because of something that a government um, did inside of a nation that has impacted other nations. So it's not about us, sweetie. It's not about Chinese. Some people might interpret it that way, but that's not what was meant and that's that's not it, right? And so I, I would just back all of that down 
and then I would make sure we were going out and we were going out if, if there really was, you know, a riot against Chinese or something. I mean, I'm not, I'm not familiar with how much um, persecution came out of that. I've heard a tiny little bit, but not, not lots. And maybe there's a lot more than what I've heard. But, um, but I would just make sure you're going out in environments that are healthy until all of that blows over. And I wouldn't engage my child with that level of intensity in life, not, not at this age. It, 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 I think it leads to a seed of mm, resentment and anger and stereotyping again, you know, in reverse <laughs> um, that we don't want to do. Like, like two wrongs don't make a right, you know. So we just protect our children from it. That's, that's, we, we get that right as parents to be able to protect our children from those kinds of issues. Later on, they have to deal with it, not now. Mm. I think Isaac accepted whatever I said at face value at that time. So it hasn't come up again, but yeah. then I'm just, okay, what, what if it happens again? Because I remember telling him, president is a little bit misinformed and this is why we had to pray for our leaders, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then just, you know, really try and protect your kids from being in on those kinds of conversations or attitudes, you know, make sure you're, you've got your own right. And then, you know, so that you don't have a, an, an unconscious atmosphere of fear or unconscious atmosphere of resentment or something that you're projecting, right? You've got that handled in yourself so they don't catch it like they catch the measles. And then you, um, and then you just try and make sure they're as much as possible left out of that level of, of uh, issues and tensions and fearfulness, right? Because we have no way of knowing how those little things that we we have those intense conversations feel a minute of panic or something or maybe we carry it for a little while and we and then we toss it off and we move on but we have no idea how those things that are too big for a child actually stay in their heart and years later years and years later right they're living out of of something that we was just a passing thing for us right it's just too big for them it's too big can i ask a question somewhat related let me just stop right here. So it's it's nine eighteen, and I am more than happy to stay on. And if anybody wants to jump off the call, um, God bless you for being on here. And I just pray something of tonight um, births, and I I just um, want to bless you with the grace to open up your home, and and we make lots of wonderful friends. Open up your home, be hospitable, and have meals together with people across lots of people groups for the sake of the children, for the glory of God. Okay, and so now we can go on. Okay, thanks. Um, my question is around, um, like say this kind of stuff comes up, especially like around holidays with like families are getting together and they just start talking about different things. Uh, especially <laughs> like Stephen's family isn't Christian and so different views might come up and the way they talk about people and things like that do you just you're just hyper vigilant and like we're going to do something else now that kind of thing you know it just depends for me it would depend on the extent of it you can get caught off guard though things are kind of going along you're going okay sort of neutral sort of neutral and then bam you know uncle harry drops a bomb in there that you go god did you even hear that mila you know <laughs> i hope you were not attending i always want you to have focused attention but not now right <laughs> so i think 
in that regard, you kind of have to know your relatives. I mean, it, you know somebody who gets a little too much to drink, on the, you know, after Christmas dinner and they tend to get bawdy or they tend to, you know, um, make cracks and remarks or bring up certain subjects or something. And then I would be very vigilant. You know, I would bring some extra games. I would just say, oh, Neil, time to use the bathroom kind of thing. And then just not come back for a while. Right. I mean, figure out a way to sneak and then and then just maybe sit off to the side, play a little game, read a little book, wait, keep one ear open, see when things are calming down, um, bring the kids back in. Right. And, and you do it respectfully. Maybe you can do it so subtly that the child doesn't even know they're being protected. Sometimes I, I think I gave that example of, you know, with, with my mom and dad, my dad had the television on all the time. And but our kids really wanted to be with their grandma and grandpa. I wanted them to be there. They were, you know, wonderful grandma and grandpa, right? But we taught our children to, to feel inside of themselves when they felt awkward over something. Either it was the music that was playing or it could be, you know, what was coming on the television. They could feel and we taught them to be um, sensitive to that to say you start to get that little feeling that little oh questioning I don't know if this is good or bad you just sneak out in the other room here's your backpack get your color books out right and so we taught them how to maneuver how to how to successfully pre-train them how they can make their own choices in that with conversations with family they really they really don't have that option you know to exercise that so you have to do that for them mm -hmm. okay. thanks yeah. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, I bless these ladies now. Thank you that um, Christ is all in them. And I thank you, Father, that you are the God of love and you are the God of um, compassion and you are the God of unity and you are the God who breaks down walls. And in you, there is one race that you created, the human race, out of one human father, Adam, one bloodline, the blood of Christ. Um, and so, Lord, we just thank you so much for the wisdom and the discernment and the <clears throat> counterculture um, perspective of the kingdom. Um, all your ways are good, all your ways of our life um, and I thank you, Father, that our feet in Christ, all of our feet are shod with the gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace, God, and, um, and love. And Lord, I'm asking you for each of these households now that um, you would give these parents the wisdom and the grace, um, the, uh, the belief and the familiarity with the word of God and your kingdom ways, God to raise their children in the atmosphere, the habits of, of um, habits of, of, of disciplines and habits of life, God, and the living ideas, Lord, that make them open to everything of you and closed to every distortion of the devil. Lord, I ask you for grace um, for these parents now to help their children learn to thrive on the righteous um, gift of categorizing and um, and uh, generalizing <laughs> all of those without um, falling in to the bait of Satan to cross over into stereotyping. Um, 
And, and Lord, I'm asking you for the grace for each of them to raise their children um, inside with the, the identity of Christ and not fall into playing around with this bomb, literally a, a bomb, God, of the dangerous bomb of, of, of self-esteem that is all tangled up with pride that has to have something under it to be above it, uh, to feel good about themselves. God, we want to walk in the ways of your kingdom. We want to raise our children to run beyond us in wisdom and discernment and godliness. Please help these parents, Lord. And I ask you, God, that you would give each of us the great grace of kingdom hospitality, that we would, Lord, step out and not just think about it, but actually have faith with works. And that we would step out, God, and have into our homes and go in and out of homes, Lord, by invitation of different people groups, God, um, so that our children are never at the mercy of a person with an evil argument or even a society with an evil argument, God, um, because they've had experiences that make them invulnerable. Uh, oh, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, that these families, you have, you're empowering them to be lights in a dark world, um, to be salt in a depraved, um, fallen environment, God, and that um, in you, they win. The kingdom wins and pushes back the gates of hell. And we thank you for doing that, God, um, in them and in their children, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Jen. Thank you, Jen. Welcome. Love you guys. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.